Welcome to episode 174 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. How are you? I am excellent, Andrew. How are you today? Good. Merry Christmas, by the way. Yes, this is our first post-Christmas episode. Yep. Uh, I got those Hot Wheels 850s you sent me. Excellent. And you're having a hard time finding those. I still have not found any anywhere. In fact, I was at Target before Christmas. Like, I think it was the day before Christmas Eve. And, I mean, absolutely just decimated uh, Hot Wheels cars. Right. But I think we've mentioned this before in prior holiday episodes that a Hot Wheels car makes a perfect stocking stuffer. So I think... Yeah, the aisles the aisles are usually cleared pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but I've always found that if you time it right, they wind up refilling them a lot too. So you do get a good chance of finding some good stuff. That's what I was hoping. Around Christmas time. Yeah. I, I've probably... I mean, I didn't buy them all because I don't need them all. I bought enough for a couple of friends and, I, and myself. But I've probably found... 25 30 of those volvos maybe they're just not so. as popular where you are i don't know it's weird yeah i don't know it's strange to me too but i actually i just did have a good hunt uh you know hot wheels hunting trip because i found um one of the other brands of 164 steel cars they made by the company called m2 mm-hmm. they have chase cars on top of their regular cars and you'll see at the top of the package, it'll say like one of 5,000 or one of 7,000. Um, but they have their chase cars that are one of 750. Oh. And they're worth like they're worth like 30 bucks or so if you find one. Um, but I found one here of the um, Hakusuka Skyline GTR, the, the chase version of it. So right. That's pretty neat. And I think uh, you've just got generally more stores Yes, that's for sure. Yeah. I remember when I first moved out here, I put Walmart into the um, GPS to see where the local one was. And I was shocked by the fact that there are probably, I don't know, 15 of them within five square miles of here. I know, but the population is there to uh, support it. And then I got yeah, the yeah, population is very dense in the center of town here. So. And then you sent me the Japanese touring car um, Accord, the Jax Accord. I did. Um, what brand was that? Uh, the Tarmac Works. Tarmac Works, right. Uh, yeah, we talked about those. Actually, is it Tarmac or, is Tarmac or is it an Inno? Might be an I-N-N-O. Ooh. Uh, I don't know. It's downstairs in the in the studio, so I can't look at it. Oh, that's right. You're recording upstairs, aren't you? Yep. I think I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick because I don't want to be wrong on it. Um, because they're the new brand of 164 scale, super highly detailed cars. Well, I know. Yeah, and... Um, Tarmac Works has been doing a bunch of those because, like, they had a bunch of Evo 10 releases. And they are yep. super, super nice. Like, they're very scale 164s. Okay, so the one I got you was the Inno 64, the I-N-N-O mm-hmm. 64. And they make the Honda Accord J-A-C-C-S um, JTCC car. So Jax was a sponsorship. I think it's a, an oil company in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and JTCC, obviously the Japanese touring car championship, but that was the same series that had the PIAA Accord um, and some of the other pretty iconic of the era Accord race cars. It was kind of like the European touring cars, but in Japan, right? So, but so the new uh, line of INNO models, INNO sixty four models, is even nicer than the Tramax work stuff. So if you took that package apart and like opened the package and looked at it, 
like take the clear cover off and like look at the car really closely. Yeah. Um, it has like photo etched Honda emblems and stuff on it. Oh, really? Like the car is super nice. They're also doing Evos now, and I have a couple of their Evos too. They have Evo threes. Um, I have a red one. I have a yellow one and a and a uh, race car version. So I'll have to get some pictures together. I haven't taken any pictures in a while. Yeah, they're um, scale it, stuff. It's funny because they're, you know, when you look at like a Hot Wheels, it's like a Hot Wheels scale, right? Yep. And then there's actual 164 scale. And then when you see them really detailed up, you're like, wow, it's pretty impressive. So Hot Wheels scale is a three inch scale. Okay. Which means nothing other than all the cars are somewhere in the realm of three inches long to fit in a standard package. Yep. So they're not any kind of actual scale. Yeah. So that's the that's the big difference. Whereas these cars here are all done to exact 164 scale. Mm-hmm. So... And they're super ridiculously detailed. Like I said, I'll have to get some more pictures taken of the the new INNO64 Evos. And actually, I also have um, recently picked up the Tomica Limited Vintage Evolutions. They did an Evo um, 4, 5, and 6. So I have those, and I have picked up the um, Tomica Limited Vintage second gen Montero as well. Cool. So I have a few things to snap some shots up to put on the Instagram page, maybe. And, uh, we also got the Stephanie. I got the drive coffee you sent us. Um, that stuff was, uh, pretty good. I drank the first one. It was trophy. And it's like, okay. uh, that's what I had like the camels trophy truck on it. Yeah. Well, like a Land Rover on it. Okay. And, yep. uh, it's like an oil can. But actually, it's really neat packaging. It makes a lot of sense to like, um, because you can, we didn't, we weren't able to dump all the coffee beans into the grinder. So then you could just seal it back up by spinning the cap back on instead of like a coffee bag that you have to try to roll up so they stay fresh. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a neat way to get um, a Christmas gift for the two of you guys that was both car related and not. So you both could enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So. And now that the, uh, um, what was the name of the other one we had? B, was it Beeline? Beeline. Or B, yeah, Beeline Coffee is no longer in existence. These guys are the other automotive-themed coffee company. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Merry Christmas. Thank like you. We already talked about the T-shirt you got me and whatnot. So. Yep. I think we did some listener questions. Is that what we want to do this episode about, sir? Yes. All so right. I was going to start on Instagram. And I'll go from. Now we put a picture of your car up as the picture. Yep. Um, just to have a picture, and just if anybody is interested, his car is for sale. Oh yeah, we'll get so to if that. You want? Yeah, we'll get to that in detail. <laughs> All right. So if you're looking for a WRX, stay tuned. Yeah. Um. So throttle by cable. Uh. I've been a Matchbox guy forever. Lately, though, Hot Wheels has really stepped up. What would you like them to put out into production? Now, I'm not really sure what's the, to me, I don't know, there was never much difference between Matchbox and, Matchbox and Hot Wheels, but apparently there is, right? So Matchbox cars, as a general rule, especially when we were younger, um, were always more realistic. And Hot Wheels cars were always more hot rods or fantasy cars. Um, there was a big shift in the early 2000s where Matchbox cars were mostly fantasy cars. Um, and now they're all kind of coming around again. And Hot Wheels has done a lot more actual 
scale-ish real cars now, not just fantasy cars and hot, hot rod cars. Yep. So he's right. Um, hot Wheels has really stepped their game up as far as ones that you want to collect and collect and look at on a shelf versus play with, with, you know, kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, whatever. Um, and as far as what I'd like to see them come up with, um, Hot Wheels has been doing a bunch of vintage Japanese cars lately. Right. But the problem is, is they've done like 10 Nissans yeah. and eight Hondas, which is cool because it's, it's a, a, a genre that hasn't been done before, but they haven't branched out. There's been a couple of Mazdas they've done, yeah. but it's mostly Nissans and Hondas. Um, I'd like to see some more Toyotas, more Mitsubishis, obviously. Yeah, I'm not gonna hold my I'm not gonna hold my breath on Mitsubishi's, but I mean, I think there's a market for a Starion. I think that would make a, a saleable Hot Wheels car. Yeah, especially um, because I, people made them out of the A86 car. Yeah, yeah, people have customized the uh, other Hot Wheels to look like them, but I think there's a market for that. Um, they just came out with a Porsche 944, which is pretty scale and pretty good. Oh, that's cool. Um, and that kind of would go along in the same genre as a. Starion, same era, same body lines. So there's a, um, a 22B Impreza. That's pretty cool. There is that just came out. There's a second gen RX-7 coming out this year. Oh, cool. Um, so I mean, honestly, without asking for them to make anything, they've done a pretty good job making most things that I would want a copy of. Just they need to be a little more variety in uh, in mm-hmm. manufacturers. So I don't think we need any more Nissans for a while because they literally have. You know, a first gen Sylvia up through an S fifteen Sylvia. <laughs> yeah. Um and they have multiple five tens and Datsun pickups and there's a Datsun six ten pickup. Yep. And then Matchbox did an earlier Datsun pickup and there's a Datsun Roadster and I just think that it's cool to doing a lot of Datsuns, but there needs to be a little more variety if I had to be nitpicky, but at the end of the day it doesn't matter. They're recognizing that there's a market for these cars now and they're making them. So that's all we can really ask for. So, yeah, I like the Mazda casting. I just got that recently. That looks pretty good. Which one's that? The, uh, uh, sorry, the Miata. Oh, the Miata, the new Miata casting. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's neat because they made it a little bit of a hot rod. Yeah. Like it's got a little roll bar in it. It's got like R package lips. Um, It's a neat, it's a neat one. So I have a couple of those. They make a red one so far mm-hmm. and a blue one, yep. I think. And there's a green one that was only sold at GameStop. Random. Well, they used to have deals with Kmart. Right. And Kmart is gone. Uh huh. So now they have exclusive cars for GameStop. Okay. So I don't, yeah. GameStop it's is not con- It's not convenient for me to go to GameStop to, buy, to look at Hot Wheels cars, though. So, how is, how is that store still exist? Right. Especially in the world of downloaded games. Yeah. And in fact, I was even trying to, when I was trying to buy the game Wreckfest, right. I went to a GameStop and I couldn't get the game at a GameStop. Yeah. They don't even have all the stuff. Like, yeah. What is the point yeah. of this? video game only store if you don't have everything i'll just buy stuff online and download games like doesn't that so, make so sense so i don't download a lot of games because i don't have a huge time. hard drive yeah. and i don't have a huge hard drive in my xbox um that's my own fault for having the lighter end xbox i guess um but 
I went to a GameStop and I was like, hey, I need this game Wreckfest. Do you have it? And she's like, no, we don't have it. I was like, all right, is there a local store that has it? Because, again, like Walmart says, a pretty dense selection of GameStops in the area. But the one that had it was like an hour and a half away. What? And I was like, oh, do you guys do like ship to store? And she's like, no, we can't do that. I was like, oh, that's annoying. So I kind of forgot about it for a couple of days. And uh, I had to go pick up some stuff at another store one night on the way home. Um, and Naomi actually asked me to stop at a specific Walmart. So I did. And she had actually bought it for me. And it was waiting in the uh, um, the pickup area. So that was that was cool of her. Oh, so cool. I did get it, but Walmart had it in stock. So cool, which is annoying because it's Walmart, and you know we keep supporting supporting Walmart instead of other places. But well, I tried. Uh, I tried, man. I tried. I mean, GameStop's a big company too. It's not. Yeah, that's true. It just seems that it's, it's either Amazon or Walmart. Yeah, I mean you're right. Unfortunately, or Target. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think it's our fault, but it's definitely consumers' fault. Yeah. Um. All right. Next Alex, question. Alex Stadel, which Evo was best Evo? This is hard. Uh, it depends on what you're defining as best. Um, I would break it up into like. Um, Highest performing like, Evo was probably what the Evo 9 MR. Yeah. Um, but I'd, yeah, I'd break it up in like early, mid, late. Okay, so like so early would be one through three with yep. the um, engine situation with the timing belt on the left side, on the left hand side. Yeah. Okay, um, and then middle would be still four to I would say four to six, four to six, and then because it's like a body style or four, or four to seven or four four to nine would no. be middle. No, no, I'm going by actual body style change. So yeah. a, a one through three is basically the same platform. Then it's going to be four generations then. So four, four through, yeah, I'm getting there. Four through seven, sorry, four through six would be one platform. Seven through nine is a platform. And then 10 was its own thing. Right. Um, if you, I like the tens because I had one. I think they were good cars. I don't dislike the tens. I think the 10 lost a little bit of the raw edge of an Evo, but it was still a good car. It was, and it, it was lost a lot, out. a lot more refined. It was, like I've said before, right car, wrong economy. Yeah, had well, the, in 08. Yeah. It, yeah, had the economy not crashed in 08 when the car came out, it probably would have been a lot more successful, I feel. It was uh, it was just bad timing, unfortunately. Yep. Um, but, so and Again, it wasn't a bad car. It, it was a lot more. It was a lot more refined. It was a lot more car than every Evo before it. It was a very good car in 2008. It yep. was a very old car in 2015 when they stopped making it. Yeah. Also in 2015 when they could no longer sell it with Recaro seats because they didn't have um, airbags in them. They that did also, have airbags in them. That's the crazy they, thing. Or I forget. I thought it was an airbag thing was the issue. No, there was airbags in them. They had side oh. impact airbags. It was some weird thing, and I don't remember what it was. I just pushed it out of my brain because it was so stupid. But yeah, the last ones you could buy had just regular Lancer seats. Yeah, it was pretty lame. Um, okay. So best Evo, um, I like threes, sixes, and 
a nine and ten. <laughs> okay, so I have a soft spot for the eight. Um, yeah, obviously because I own one. But my thing about the eight is it's the last one before there were any electronic controls, so it's all mechanical diffs front to rear. It there's no super SYC or all those AYC or all those things. Um, not that they're bad. I'm just using that as a a point of where the car went from 100% mechanical to a little more complicated. Yeah, I think the US 03s, though, didn't have mechanical front diffs. They were just an open diff. It was an open paper. front diff, yes. Yeah, it was just kind of lame. Yeah, but, I mean, I never noticed Cause, it. Because the STI <laughs> in that year had a limited slip in the front. Which was, uh, cool. was there an 03 STI? Well, the that generation STI. Right, but that Evo, the next year when the STI came here, also had a limited slip in the front. So... Only the O3s didn't have the limits up front. I'm pretty sure. Because then they got the, um, they call it the super all-wheel control, SWAWC or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that had the, you know, tarmac, snow, gravel modes and everything in the center diff. So yep. I, I personally like the O3s only because I had one and because they were the simplest of the simple of the cars we got here. Um, I think my favorite Evo of all time is a good mix between the two and the three. Because they have, they're the the lightest, simplest chassis, um, but have the most Evo styling to them. So the three would be my personal choice. But I wouldn't turn down a nice two either, or a nice one. But I, I think three is the ideal car. If I was going to import a car that wasn't a super special one, like a Tommy Mackin edition, I would import a three. Yeah, I want a six Tommy Mackin edition. Yeah, unfortunately, those are very expensive. Yep. Whereas the rest of them are not nearly as expensive. Mm-hmm. You can import right. an early, a one through three into this country for sub 20 grand. Um, yep. The Tommy Mackinac edition cars are already special and they're already, I'm, I've seen them with, you know, low kilometers on them for 50, 60 grand already. So they're already very expensive. An FTO might be an interesting car. They are. If they're if they're inexpensive enough. Yeah, I don't think they're ever going to be as much as the Evos. They probably will be pretty cheap. But I think the problem with the FTO is going to be a lot of um, harder to get parts because that was a low production car worldwide. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Evo is based on a Mirage Lancer. Yeah. So a lot of the simple stuff is simple to get. Um, and then a lot of the mechanical stuff was shared over generations and they made many, many, many of them across the world, just not here. So I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't turn down a nice FTO, but I really I really want an Evo three. That's mm-hmm. really the that's the one for me. So if I had to say which Evo is best Evo, I would say Evo three for me. Yep. All right. Uh Paul's finest hour. Which K car to brave a winter rally like Snowdrift in uh, Mitsubishi Minica? Dangan ZZ or Subaru Vivio RX-R? I think either of them is a bad choice, but I don't think it really matters. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what they look like. Well, the I, the Mitsubishi Mangan, uh, uh, sorry, Dangan is the one that I drove in Brookline. Remember the little black one? 
Oh, so they're like little miniature boxes. Yeah, like a Honda City kind of shape. Okay. Or Suzuki Alto works like the stuff that uh, used to drive in Gran Turismo back in the day. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think you'd, I think you'd have a bad time because <laughs> uh, it would just—they're not very fast. They're not very fast. They don't have much ground clearance. Um, and there's not a lot of parts available for them if you're driving one at a rally. Yeah. Um, I would just go ahead and say the Mitsubishi just because of who we are and who I am. Yeah. I like the spirit of this question, but, uh, there's not a good answer for it. There's not a good answer for it. Um, the best car for a rally is the same thing that everybody else drives. So therefore you can just share parts. Basically. Yeah. If there's a reason everybody has an Impreza or a Mark II Volkswagen. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, Mark II, Mark III now. So you just <laughs> yeah. pick one of those three things. Yeah, because the problem uh, is it's cool, and I love seeing weird, different stuff in rallies, but the problem is is they never finish because when parts break, they don't have other competitors running the same car to have enough spares. And people so, haven't figured everything out already. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would I would just run a Mark II Volkswagen. It's not much bigger than a Mitsubishi Minica anyway. Right. All right. Speaking of rallying, Downy Dirty Racing asks. Uh, so he says Stafford Springs Winter Challenge Rally. So for those who don't know, so Stafford Springs is the first rallycross event of the New England region of the season. It's in Stafford Springs, Connecticut. It's a two-day rallycross. You know, two separate events on Saturday and Sunday, but they combine it to make a two-day event. Um it's a pretty big event. I haven't been in a while. Um, I've been in years. If, I, if I'm around, I might come down and I'll hang out and go for some rides, but I, I can't run it right now. I just don't have the time to commit it an entire day to running it. Um, and winter challenge. Uh, I'm on the fence on that. Maybe that is the John Buffum run TSD in the middle of the night in Northern Vermont in the middle of winter. Uh, and it's like the most epic TSD that you can possibly do. It's a total throwback to the way they were run in the sixties and seventies. Um, if you ran that in a, it's pretty, it's pretty much, it's pretty much a seventies, eighties stage rally. Basically. Yeah. Um, if you ran that in a Minica Dangan, then yeah, uh, I give you a lot of respect for that. Cause it's like, uh, I think it's usually like 3 PM to 3 AM. So you're 12, yes, yeah, you're 12 lines. hours in a car and there's literally, I remember cause there's literally like an hour of daylight and the, enti- the rest of the entire time you're, it's in the middle of the night. Um, yep. and it, it can totally vary. There's been years that we did it where it wasn't that snowy. There was some ice. Or it's 40 and raining. Yeah. And it was like, there was one that was negative 14. We yep. did one in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, it's pretty wild. Uh, it's definitely, if you're in the area uh, and you have like, you need like a little bit of TSD experience. Don't make it your first one. <laughs> Maybe like your second or third one, you'd be all right. If you go in with a good idea, like, yeah, cer- certainly don't make it your yeah. first one. Your first one, you'll be like, what is going on? Cause it's totally different from any other TSD. Like it's, there's a section. It's different. 
it's different, but having the experience will help. Yeah. So there's a section that is like a normal TSD, and then there's a section that um, is purely like map and then purely directions. And the map reading one is literally you're just following a line on a map. And this is typically like the last section and it's 30, 2.30 in the morning. You're super tired and like the car is bouncing around and you're trying to read this map and tell the driver where to go. It's kind of like nerve wracking. So if you can get through this too without killing each other, there you go. So both of us have crashed and gotten stuck on this rally before. So I, kinda... oh yeah, I guess I crashed and get stuck once. Yeah, you got crashed into a snowbank. Yeah, yeah. And just because you didn't crash into a wall doesn't mean he didn't. No, crash. no, I forgot about that part. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. I've only been in a car that's. <laughs> I yeah. well, actually, no. So let me take that back. I've never actually crashed a car during this, but I have been in a car that went uh, pretty far off the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, we went through a snowbank that was door handles high, um, and through a barbed wire fence. So it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not it's not simple. No. Put it that way. No. And the a lot of TSDs will be run. They'll tell you at the beginning no traps. This one has traps. There's yep. gimmicks. Um, yeah, it's, there'll be covered signs. Yep, there'll be uh, directions designed to confuse you. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's kind of like. It's kind of like an escape room. You got to try to figure your way out of the out of the map. Yeah. Without being stuck in a room. Yeah, there'll be wordplay in the direction. Yeah. And you're like, what? And you're, you know, you're tired. You're trying to figure this out. It's crazy, right? Um, but all right. Anyway, next question. Uh, the underscore knife underscore W one Zard. <laughs> the knife wizard. <laughs> um. Why didn't Europe get turbo eclipses? Why did they even bother importing them? I don't know. Good question. You get any more insight on that? I don't have any insight on why they didn't. Why they didn't. The only thing I could think of is possibly it's a fuel quality thing, maybe. Could be. But I don't understand either because BMWs and stuff all run on premium. Um, why they bother importing them? Because the non-turbo eclipse is still a good car. Yeah. I think when people hear non-turbo eclipse, their brain automatically goes to a second-gen chrysler powered non-turbo eclipse or or even an early 1.8 liter single overhead cam non-turbo eclipse um the non-turbo eclipses that europe got which my car is um is still a 4g 63 car so it's still a two liter twin cam it's like 150 160 horse it's not super underpowered which Um, so that's the other thing so if it's like 150 160 the turbo car was only 190 195 yeah it wasn't that much yeah. more. It's not that much more. And you only notice it at higher, higher, higher end, higher revs. Mm-hmm. So coming off the line, because obviously being a 90s, early 90s turbo car, those cars have lag anyway. Yeah. So it feels almost the same in initial acceleration. It just runs out higher in the rev range because it doesn't have that turbo pushing, pushing more power through. Um, but once the car is revved out, it's fine. So I've taken the car on a bunch of back roads out here. I mean, I drove the car across country. I've driven all over the place. Um, and I don't find myself wanting more power. 
because a front wheel drive car with too much power is torque steering mess anyway. So I would never say that the car is going to go out and win a drag race because it's not, but it's a very entertaining car. It kind of feels, um, I don't know if the knife wizards ever driven a Miata. I'm pretty sure he has, but it kind of has that same power to weight ratio is like a Miata. So you can have fun with it in the twisties. You can have fun with it on on ramps. You can have fun with it around town. You can squirt in and around traffic with it pretty efficiently. You just don't expect it to be, uh, you know, plant your back into the seat kind of acceleration. It's fun to drive. It's got enough torque to be entertaining down low and it revs quick enough to be entertaining when like banging gears and like mountain pass kind of roads. So I don't, I don't think there's any problem with the car. I don't, I've never owned a front wheel drive turbo version. I've only ever owned the all wheel drive turbo version. Um, but I don't find myself wanting a turbo in it. So everybody keeps saying, Oh, are you going to put a turbo driver in the car? No, you know, unless something catastrophic happened to the engine that was in there, maybe I'd put a turbo in it. But as far as it goes, as far as it stands, I have no issue driving that car with no turbo. You know, a four G six, three naturally aspirated is actually a pretty neat little motor. So dare I say slow car fast. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's definitely a good way to describe it. I mean, that's how you describe a Miata, and I just compared it to that kind of driving experience. I mean, obviously, a Miata is more pure, being a lightweight, top-down, rear-wheel drive, you know, with the schnickety-schnick transmission. But this is a it's a fun car to drive. Um, with the right set of tires, the right setup, it's not it's not a big deal. I don't miss the turbo. Maybe there was just no competition for that car in Europe that they needed to put a turbo in it. Yeah, maybe. You know, there's no reason to spend the money. They just spent a simple car over there. Maybe there was an emissions thing they couldn't meet with the turbo. Who knows? Well, maybe, yeah, but, I think what you're saying, yeah, I when you're saying competition, I bet there wasn't a lot of European hot hatches that were turbo at the time. No. I mean, think about 1990 when they started importing them. Yeah, the Volkswagen was a 16-valve, you know, twin cam engine, the Peugeot's were like the 1.6 and the 1.9. Those weren't turbos. You know, those are the kind of cars that it would be competing against. So maybe they just thought, hey, this is fine. You know, maybe it would be competing against like an E30, you know, non-M3, and that would be a non-turbo car. You know, there's no, there's not really a lot of, a lot of that kind of kind of stuff there. Only, the only turbo cars that they had there would have been higher end stuff. Yeah, you know, nine forty four turbos and stuff like that, but that wasn't. And Mitsubishi sold Starians over there with turbos. Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know why they did it, but again, to reiterate my point, I don't miss the turbo having the car. Not every car needs to be a drag a drag race car. Not every car needs to be super powerful. Um, you just need to know what it is and enjoy it for what it is. So I think if I didn't have, you know, other turbocharged cars, maybe I'd be like, oh, I wish this car was turboed. But I think as an experience for what it is, it's going to stay the way it is. So it makes it interesting. You can hear the engine a lot more, too, because there's no turbo noise. Mm. There's no turbo. I don't know. It's just 
I think a 4G63 NA car is an interesting car to own. Um, and it's not something that a lot of people ever have owned. Right. Because <laughs> there aren't that many. So other than some Galant GSs and Eclipse GSs, there haven't been a lot of applications for a twin cam 4G63 with no turbo, have there? Galant GSX. Uh, I was say the Galant GS, Galant GSX. Galant AMG. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in this country, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, not much. So, yeah, the two Galants and the Eclipse GS. I mean, that's really it. Yeah. Everybody uh, else said 4G64 single cams or 4G63 turbos. You had non-turbo Hyundais with the 4G63. That's true. I wasn't even thinking of other manufacturers. But anyway, I have no problem with it. I don't know why they did it. I don't have the exact answer of why they did it. But I uh, I enjoy driving the car and... That's all that matters to me. I think we had some pretty good theories, though. All right. Um, Fuge Rob. Uh, is Brad insufferable with his weather breaking now, or is or has he not been in Phoenix enough to learn yet how to fully gloat this time of year? Uh, I don't know. You don't really rub it in too bad every now and then. Well, here's the thing. It's been unseasonably cold here. I, that's what I heard. And it's been unseasonably warm there. Yeah. So I haven't really had a good chance to do that, no. Um, speaking of the Eclipse, the battery died yesterday. Right. So I had to change the battery yesterday, and it was in the low 40s. And as I was changing the battery after dark in the low 40s, I had the very the very familiar feeling of my fingertips hurting working on things. Right. Because of the cold air. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I feel like I'm back in Massachusetts doing this job. Yeah. Like I moved here to avoid this. What's going on? Yeah. It was like 50 so, the other night. <laughs> yeah. Which a, a, a Massachusetts 50 is very, is a lot warmer feeling than a Phoenix 40. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the, what the difference is there, but it makes a big difference. I don't know if it's the dry air or what, when it's cold, it's cold. Um, I mean, it was down into the mid thirties last night here. It was not warm. So we actually, and it's been raining a lot this past week here because it's wintertime. Um, so it's, it's actually felt it's felt a lot like Massachusetts in, say, October here the past few days. Mm-hmm. So I have not been rubbing it in too much. I have sent a few pictures of car events and stuff that are obviously not going on in Massachusetts now that have probably rubbed it in a little bit. But overall, I'm trying to be uh, not be a jerk about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Plus... Anybody can come out and fly out and visit. It's only, you know, 250 to 300 bucks round trip. If you're tired of the snow, tired of the winter, come on out. I'll take you to some car stuff. Cool. Um, well, I know Fuge Rob is already out there anyway, so. Yeah, well, I, not, not him specifically because he lives around the corner from me, but I'm saying others. All right. People who are still in New England. Sigma underscore Woodcraft. Uh, When is frame rust too much? What do you guys do when a beloved project has some soft spots? Or do you avoid vehicles like that altogether? Well, I think you moved far, far away from it. So I did. Um, But the problem is I still have the car there that we should have thrown in the trash years ago. That for some reason we haven't. Uh, Sigma Woodcraft has, I think, a Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, that's actually not that rusty. I remember looking at pictures of his compared to other Pathfinders I've seen. Uh, when I want to say Pathfinder. I'm talking about like a 
what is that body style like 88 92 ish i don't i don't i don't really know it's it's like the nissan hard body pickup style yeah the, like the um, early ones yeah and overall his his truck is pretty clean um so I think as long as there's no real structural frame rust where the car is going to fall apart driving down the road and it's not worth a million dollars restored, I think that's where I draw the line. And experience has told me that's where I do draw the line because I did throw away that brown colt. Yep. Because, you know, the rust on the body was fairly minimal and it didn't bother me that much. The rust on the floor was pretty significant, but it didn't bother me that much because we could have just patched it up. Yeah. Yeah, it was the rear suspension mounting points um, that really gave me pause to say, this is dangerous for me and for anybody else around me on the road, so this car is going in the trash. Yeah. So I think as long as nothing important is rotted away, or if what's important that's rotted away isn't easy to fix, you know, because you could argue that uh, a cab mount on a Chevy pickup is very important, but it's an easy fix. Whereas you know, a unibody car where the rear suspension mounts all are the trailing arms. Uh, the trailing arm mounts were like the forward trailing arm mounts were pretty, uh, pretty toasty. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was, it was time to move on. So I, I think that there's this, a lot of different factors when deciding whether or not you're going to start with it or not. Um, I think a big factor is how connected are you to the car? Is it a car you've owned for a long time? Is there a reason you want to save it versus just going out and buying a car with the intention of fixing the rust? Right. I think that's a big difference. Like that's the part of the reason that, you know, you'll see pictures of Andrew and I working on that Starion all the time because we bought that car a long time ago. Um, and for some reason it's kind of endeared itself to us or to me specifically. And I think you as well. Um, just because it's just a weird car and it did run so well and it's been an interesting learning tool for us, but I don't think I would buy a car that was that far gone and try to fix it. No, no, I would never buy a car intentionally just because we already have it. I'm like, all right, well done it. But uh, as, uh, as I get older and I can afford a little bit more money for a nicer project car, I'll start with a nicer base. Mm-hmm. Than buying a full like I would never buy a basket case car. There's some people that do it, and that's their prerogative. That's like they get joy out of buying yeah. a box of parts and putting a car together from it. But I just yep. I have no desire to do that. Well, you and I have both learned that you can get a car shipped from pretty much anywhere in the world for less than two thousand dollars. Right. So two two thousand dollars does not go far when it comes to time and materials when fixing a car. So if you can get a car from a rust free area for you know less than two grand shipped you're probably better off and then it depends on what you're into are you into just the act of the build the act of doing this repair is that what you're interested in Uh, me personally i like it a little bit but i don't want to consume my i don't want to consume years restoring a car uh welding on individual pieces like i i would be interested in doing like some little welding here and there and patching it up, but I'd rather have a rolling restoration, something I can drive. Yeah. I don't want a box of parts to put together. That's just, that's just my opinion. Yep. I totally agree. Um, and a lot of that might also come from our, 
personal situations. Like if I had unlimited indoor garage space, even maybe it would be that, different. I wouldn't do it. Well, I'm I'm saying maybe it would be different to have a more uh, ambitious project off in the corner that you could just pick away from time to time, but you still have that toy fun car that does run, does drive. Um, I don't think I want to have like my everyday driver and a serious project and not have some interesting old car to drive around in. Yeah. You just don't want to be that guy in the yard when you're like, people are like, Hey, do you want to sell that thing? You're like, no, I'm going to get to it someday. It's just, it's just, I mean, I kind of, I kind of am that guy. All right. Well, I'm trying to fix, I'm trying to fix myself. Let's put it that way. We're trying to fix things. The, the Galant is really the only one left that's that bad. So, yeah. All right. Um, Yeti Overland. When will the WRX have a fatal rust incident? Um, also, was it crazy to use nine to ten cans of fluid film on my new Project Tundra? Am I at the point of buying it by the gallon and using a spray gun? Um, well, I fixed all the structural rust that was dangerous on the Subaru. It's just cosmetic. Yeah, that's exactly what we were just talking about. Like that particular car now, I would drive across country and not worry about. Yeah, I mean, last year I drove to Cleveland, so that was pretty far. Um, and I was driving 100 miles a day, basically. Uh, it's simply, and uh, speaking of fluid film, I did put fluid film inside the rear quarters. Um, and that did seem to slow down the quarter panel rot a bit. Um except the bottom of the fenders are gone, but fenders are not structural. They can just be bolted on. So it's not a big deal. They're rusty. Right. It could be argued that the, the part of the quarter panel that's rusted is also not structural. It's not. Because there's the outer. inner quarter panel, which is in perfect shape. The inner wheel wells, which are in perfect shape. It's just that outer skin by the bumper where every Subaru has some rust. Mm-hmm. Every New England Subaru. Yeah. Anyway. So it's better than a wagon. The wagons had really bad of that generation where the strut towers would just blow through. Um, and actually the tops of, I've seen a couple sedans with the top of the strut towers have gone through, but this car is solid up top there. So yeah, you guys are meant up top. Um, yeah, every, everywhere that's important in the car is, is structurally fine. The frame rails are great. The floors are great. Um, the suspension mounts are fine. There's no, there's no issues with that car. Now fluid film. I have found, I like the spray cans. Actually, I find they're easier to use. I do have a gallon of it and I have the gun. But if you don't have a lift and you're just trying to, because it kind of gets everywhere. So we don't really want to do it on my dad's lift. Um, we might do a couple of cars, but we got to put down drop cloths everywhere because it's going to get everywhere. Um, but if you just want to do it out in the yard on like ramps and you're on your back doing it, um, it's nice because it's non toxic. So like you can just wear safety glasses and some old clothes. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's borderline edible. So, yeah, like your hands are going to be nice and like smooth and soft. Um, yeah, <laughs> but for days. Yeah, it's just kind of a pain though to like shoot it upside down with the. It's basically an undercoating gun. Yep. Um, it just has a giant tip on it, and the stuff's like really gooey. And I did the Montero last year, um, and it it worked out pretty well. But then I ended up using like the aerosol can with the 360 tip to actually get inside the frame rails. So I don't know. I, it's kind of like you maybe use the gallon, but also have the spray cans and the 360 tip. Yeah. And there's, and there's no shame in having a shop 
professionally under, undercoat your car either because it is a messy job and they can do it pretty uh, pretty efficiently. And uh, for the money it costs, I still prefer that method. Yeah. As far as, as, far as um, him being crazy by undercoating his vehicle, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, where Colorado is not nearly as um, rusty of an area as Massachusetts, there's a lot less road salt out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot less days that require road salt out there. So it's not as much of an issue, I'm sure. But yeah, I would, I see no reason not to coat the bottom of a car almost no matter where you live. Stuff definitely works. Definitely slows it down. Um, even like, you know, I don't drive the Montero in the salt, but like just, it's just damp. <laughs> it's just humid. So it just helps. Yeah. Any bare metal, any fasteners, they all, uh, they all wind up in better shape because of it. So moving on to Facebook questions, Andrew. Uh, yep. Justin Hughes has a related question to the last question. What is your preferred method of road treatment against icing? Then he says, Hey, you asked for salty questions. He's not wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess in Arizona they use ash or pumice. Volcanic ash. Yeah. And sand, sand. combination of the two. Yep. Actually, there was a sand truck out the other day um, when we were out on Christmas Eve. We were north of the city where it's a little colder. Um, and there was a, a sand truck we saw on the side of the road. Nope, sorry, it was Christmas Day. We saw a sand truck because we were way north of the city up in Prescott, Arizona, where it's a much higher elevation and uh, it gets colder and it was raining. So there was a sand truck out for uh, added traction. But that's not a big deal because sand is not caustic. Yeah. And there is occasionally you'll see something like some people are kind of realizing that putting that much salt down on the ground is not great for the environment. So, no. Well, and I actually just saw an article about that the other day um, that there were some scientists that didn't really realize the amount of salt that Massachusetts puts down. Yeah. And they were mortified by it. I mean, it gets into every, like the grass in front of my house is dead like year round. Um, And then, you know, it gets into, soaks into groundwater. It's just like, it's a bad scene. It ruins infrastructure. If it manages to leach into bridges and reinforced concrete with uh, rebar, it will corrode the rebar and then the rebar expands and crumbles the concrete. Um, it kind of yeah it's just not i don't know it's not good not to mention not to mention that it gets into all the rivers and stuff around here too the short term benefits do not i don't feel that they uh are worth the long term damage that it does to everything it does to infrastructure and to people's cars yeah and that's not just the environment. as a salty car no salty car enthusiast that's talking as a general person who's concerned about the environment it's not good no no, it's and it's very annoying. Um, it just generally gets everywhere. But it's also like I want to take the dog for a walk. Oh wait, I can't because it hasn't rained, and the salt will just burn his paws. So there's also that. Yeah, the preferred method would be sand or ash or you know whatever naturally occurring non caustic substances. I think we our attraction aids. We've talked about this many times. I think somebody told us Wisconsin uses like cheese brine, which is still kind of salty, yep. but. But less so. Yeah, it's from cheese. Um, All right. Jeremy Nutt uh, says, imagine you live in Massachusetts. Would you rather have a lift 
in your garage or heat insulate heat slash insulation. You cannot have both. Now this should be a stretch for you to pretend you live in Massachusetts. Well, this is an interesting question because uh, my dad did have a lift in his garage before we insulated and heated it. Yep. Um, but I'm going to go out and say, if you have an insulated and heated garage, I'd rather have that over one with a lift because having a warm, dry place to work on a car, even if you've got to do it on jack stands so much better than having to do it in the cold, in my opinion. Yeah. There's, there's zero, zero question what the right answer is there. And it's heat first. Yeah. Cause you can do uh, a, well, a lift. Is, a lift is nice. Yeah. But think about all the things you need to do with a lift. Most of them can be done on the floor with jack stands. And if you're not freezing, it's way more comfortable. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. Nope. I agree. hundred percent heat insulation. I know he recently built a garage. So if he's considering which one to spend money on first, I would do heat and insulation <laughs> mm-hmm. because if he keeps his eye out, he might be able to pick up a used lift somewhere. Well, here's the thing. You're going to be way more productive if you're comfortable. Exactly. And in Massachusetts, you're going to be way more productive if you can work on a car 12 months out of the year. Exactly. So the extra, the couple hours you can save here and there by having a lift is not going to outweigh the benefits of having access to using the garage all the time. Yeah. Because you're just going to end up in there with the lift running like one of those propane blower heater things anyways. And you've got to be miserable. Yeah. Don't do it. All right. You want to read this one or you want me to read it? Do you want to read it at all? <laughs> it's kind of so Jordan Mellum. Do you do you guys think it's weird? You both own all of the exact same cars. Why are you two so weird together? I'll hang up and listen. Now hold on, I have I have a point to make. His household here. has multiple Volkswagens. Yep. Multiple Volvos. Yep. <laughs> and an MG. Multiple Mini Coopers. Yep. Modern Mini Coopers. So I would I would like to turn this question around on him. Yeah. So two of Jordan's cars are a black Subaru SDI. Yeah. And a silver Volvo 240. Both of those cars are cars that you owned before he did. So why, and not, not those specific ones, but you had a black SDI and a silver 240. So why is Jordan owning the exact same cars as you? And actually, if I hadn't why owned... Is, why is he fighting your style? If I hadn't owned that STI, I wouldn't know him. Right. <laughs> so his life would be that much better. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not weird. Um, don't make it weird. Is it weird we have all the same cars? So, we don't really have all the same cars. Well, a couple. We so, But is it weird if you hang out with a bunch of enthusiasts of certain cars? Well, here's the thing. Because I bought a Talon, and you're like, that's a neat car. And then I bought another Talon, and you're like, I kind of want that car, so I sold it to you. Yeah. That's not weird. And then, because we're into the Talons, you're like, oh, this Galant has the same driveline, and you're really neat. I kind of want that. So you bought it. And then another one happened to come up for a decent deal, and it happened to be the same color as yours. I didn't, there was no, like, intent to buy the same car as you. I just, we both now happen to own white Talons. I mean, um, white Galants. There's only three colors, so it wasn't. The odds were pretty good, right? And then, I think he's also talking about your newest purchase. Yeah, which we it haven't is. discussed here yet. Um, but it's very similar to my newest purchase. Yeah. 
So I think that that just comes down to it's 2019. There's not a ton of practical enthusiast vehicles on the market. No. So you're going to wind up being in the same basic genre when buying a vehicle for a daily daily use. So, and it's not exactly the same as mine. No. Um, it just it's not, it doesn't even have the same name. No, actually. All right. So on that salty so, question, I mean, we're we're weird anyway. That's beside yeah. the point. That's why we have an automotive podcast. That's why we hang out with Jordan and his merry band of shitboxes. Yeah, I mean, because they fit in well with our merry band of shitboxes. Exactly. So it all kind of goes together. Yep. So yes, we do have. Well, we also had first gen Monteros at the same time too. I had mine first. <laughs> yeah, but then mine was almost free from a junkyard. <laughs> whatever. Anything else? Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Listen, I, I, we've known each other for almost our entire lives, so it just makes sense that our tastes will align. I guess. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. Okay. Nobody ever called us out on it until now, so... No. And again, he has a black SDI and a silver 240 after you did. Yeah. So he's copying you technically. All right. And actually, I had a Mark II Volkswagen before, so he's (laughs) copying me on that too. (laughs) All right. So for the last, this is the last episode of 2019. It's been a very good year. Um, Thank you for all. It's been a very good year for the podcast. Thank you for all for listening. Um, And uh, we're going to. Head on out and record another episode. Before we leave, um, is there anything that you plan on doing in 2020 that you want to announce here on the air? I'm going to save that for the next episode. For the first episode of the new year? That's right. All right. I'll let it slide. All right. Cool. So as always, you can follow us on October. Hold on. We got to stop again. Why? Because you did say at the beginning of this episode that there would be more on the Subaru issue. There will be, and I'm going to get to that. I think we should at least say, hey, it's for sale. If you want to buy it, contact Andrew. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Because you want to get the advertising out there that, hey, this car is for sale. Get it out of my driveway. Right. Yes. So the my 04 WX is for sale. Um, you can private message me, and I'll tell you all about it. Um, if you're in New England, it's a great New England car because it's already rusted. Pre-rusted. And it comes with winter tires on it. So it's ready for the snow. If you want a better deal, my sob is exactly the same as that. <laughs> All right. Follow us on Facebook on Off Topic Podcast. Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Uh, me, Race and Anger on Instagram. Brad, where can I find you? TSISS350. Okay. So, as always, in the last episode of 2019, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses. Mm-hmm.